I'm Bobby Kravitsky. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby underscore K91. That other voice coming through your speakers is that of Jeff Kane. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Kane 78. You can also read Jeff's work at ESPN New Hampshire. I highly recommend doing so. You can also check out his podcast, which again, trust me, if you're a Patriots fan, you're going to want to tune into that thing because it is gold. Jeff, how you doing tonight? Well, with that glowing intro, Bobby, I, I you know, I just had a patchgasm. I, you know, I'm speaking the truth over here. It's not just hype, love- it's sincerity. <laughs> Man, I mean, my only my mother could talk that well about me. Uh, you know what? I'm sure there's a couple waiters around New Hampshire that have glowing reviews as well. Bartenders, kid. Bartenders. Jeff, let's get right down to it here. It's pretty obvious that the NBA Finals is done. The only question I have is whether or not this is going to be a sweep or if Cleveland can actually win a game. Um, <laughs> man, what a, what a boring-ass Finals it's been, right? I mean, we talked about this last week about, you know, we could only hope that the Finals would be as good as the uh, Western Conference Finals, and, and really, Golden State has absolutely owned this thing. I mean, they have. I mean, even when um, Curry was wasn't great in Game One, they still were were above and beyond. I mean, Wednesday night in Cleveland, if Cleveland doesn't win that game, yeah, it's it's done, and, and I think it's a sweep. I, I I think you're seeing Cleveland realize that they just aren't on the same field as. Uh, as the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, they're not. And to be honest, Oklahoma City was awfully close, but we do have to recognize that this is a Warriors team that is historically great. That doesn't mean they're the best team of all time, but they are probably one of the five best teams of all time. They're an elite offensive and defensive team. And so, while I did go into this thing thinking that Cleveland had no chance of winning this championship. I thought they could make it competitive and push it to six games. Now, like we said, it's a question of can Cleveland show up for game three and take that? Or if the Warriors win game three, perhaps it's what we call, Jeff, a gentleman sweep where you win the second game at home, but then the other team wraps up the series, in this case, the finals and the season in their own building. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable, huh? I mean, unbelievable that we're talking about this now because we had such hype going into this this finals. And, and I'm looking at it and I'm going, man. And yeah, I mean, maybe the gentleman sweep is, is what happened. Not saying that, you know, Golden State will give a win uh, to Cleveland so that they can win it on their home court. But um, Cleveland's got to win one of these one of these next two, even just to – to make it competitive, to make it a, make it any kind of series. I mean, they truly have to win on Wednesday night to make it a series. If they get down 3 nothing. there's no way they're pulling a uh, 2004 uh, Boston Red Sox here at all. Jeff, I don't see 
Cleveland being able to turn this around. And if the finals holds form with the way the first two games have played out, there's a widespread belief that Kevin Love will then be playing for his third team next season. Now, I grant you that his image has taken a big hit since coming to Cleveland, but do you think the Celtics should still go after him? As a number two guy, maybe. He's not someone you can build a franchise around. I mean, that, that is blatantly clear. Uh, you know, we had delusions of grandeur a couple of years ago when Kevin Love was, you know, at the uh, Fenway Park for the Sox game and Rajon Ronda was there and we're like, oh, yeah, Danny's going to make that trade and swing it and get Kevin Love here and, you know, we'll build a championship contender around him. Uh, no, uh, it, it's not going to happen. Kevin Love is a good number two. He he would be very good here, um, you know, if, if you're able, and I don't know if you'd ever be able to, but if you're able to land Kevin Durant, uh, you know, he'd be a good guy to, to put at the power forward position uh, with Durant to kind of build your team around. But really, to me, Kevin Love, uh, the, the shine is off uh, what it used to be. You know, you're starting to see the rust spots, um, you know, and, and I, I just I, I don't see it. I don't see why you would go out and, you know, trade for him and, and then give him like a $25 million a year salary. I, I, I don't feel him to be that good of a player. Well, Jeff, Kevin Love, luckily, is already under contract now. He is paid quite well. He got the max from Cleveland last offseason. And even then, it was a discussion of would the Cavaliers actually pay him? They ended up giving him a five-year, $113 million deal. So he would be paid well, but it's not as if they would have to trade for him and then sign him to a lucrative deal. He's already got that part of the equation taken care of. I'm with you, though. It's become obvious that he has to be a number two. And quite frankly, if you're the Celtics and you give up most of your assets in order to acquire love, I don't think that based on what's going on in Cleveland, he attracts a number one player, a Kevin Durant type in free agency so to me, while it does make sense from the standpoint of how do we get better and build off of last season, it probably doesn't spell championship. Yeah, and the question I ask you now, Bobby, is if you are to give up some of your assets to turn around and get Kevin Love, why are you going to trade your assets in the Eastern Conference to make a team with LeBron James better? That, that's the question. You know, losing Kevin Love, they lost him in the first round last year against the Celtics, of course, uh, when Kelly Olynyk, uh, you know, pulled his shoulder out there. They made it to the finals without Kevin Love. Why would you ever trade anything of substance to the Cleveland Cavaliers to get Kevin Love back only to lose to the Cavaliers because they would still clearly be a better team? I think you're better suited um, to stay away from trading any of your assets to the Cleveland Cavaliers and let them trade Kevin Love somewhere else. Don't help them get better by taking off pretty much, I'm not going to call him their trash, um, but taking out you know, their mishap, if that's what you're going to say, you know, and, and taking on that salary and taking on that contract and just turning around and giving up a Brooklyn pick or giving up, you know, Marcus Smart or some of these other guys that 
really, if you've got another number one player in here, somehow, some way, is going to treat you better than uh, Kevin Lovewood, and you're not giving the Cleveland Cavaliers any ammunition to get better. Well, Jeff, that's a great point right there. And just to answer your question, the reason that you would make that trade if you're the Celtics is, be- dumb? is because <laughs> you know that might be a third reason. But I think if the Celtics were to make a deal for Kevin Love in the offseason, what it would tell you is that either A, they don't think it's making Cleveland better, regardless of who they're giving up to take Kevin Love off the roster, or B, they just feel like it makes the Celtics so much better that they still have to make the deal, even though it's helping out the best team in their own conference. Yeah, the only way I make this uh, a trade for Kevin Love is if you can somehow get Kevin Durant and team him up with Love and you know, uh, IT4, and then maybe, maybe, just maybe, then you have a shot to unseat the Cavaliers and LeBron James uh, in the Eastern Conference. But then again, the only way I think I would do a trade is some kind of three-team deal where you're giving most of your assets out to a, a third team and not to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't think, you know, and of course, Danny Danny Ainge knows a lot more about basketball than I would ever think of knowing. Hell, Debatable. Uh, you know, the guy down the street knows a lot more about basketball uh, than than I would even do, but I, I just wouldn't make my I wouldn't make my number one adversary better, and I, I think you do that by giving is addition by subtraction. They get rid of Kevin Love and they get these assets, and it keeps LeBron James there longer. It keeps the other players there, you know, longer. I, I just I, I don't like it. I don't want to see it. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding ding. Jeff, that bell means that it's time for the discussion to get a little less friendly as we face off. Today's debate focuses on the Red Sox pitching staff, which is a mess. But the question is whether they should be looking to shore up their bullpen or their rotation. Your opening statement. If I'm the Boston Red Sox, I'm looking at this and I'm going to go and shore up my bullpen. Uh, and, and this was a tough one for me, Bobby, because I'm looking at what the Red Sox starters have been, and they have not been great whatsoever. Although I do think there is a silver lining. I think Erod will get better as time goes on. I think that uh, Rick Porcello, who has pitched well this season, um, is going to be that number two or three starter that he was in Detroit. And I think then with um, Stephen Wright, uh, I, I think you got – another player that can be a good player. The injury to Carson Smith really absolutely killed anything the Red Sox were do- going to do. I mean, you have uh, Koji, who is 41 years old and, and starting to show some chinks in his armor. Uh, Tazawa, you know, he's starting to show some chinks in his armor. They've been pitching um, all these other guys constantly. The, the starters haven't been able to get in um, to the 6th and 7th inning like you'd hope. So I think you've got to make that uh, you got to make the bullpen stronger because when it comes time to get to the playoffs, I do believe the Red Sox have a chance to be there. You know these starters are going five, six innings, and then you're putting it over to your 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 seventh inning guy, your eighth inning guy, and and then your closer. And I think if you if you can shorten the game, that's what makes you as good of a contender as you can possibly be. Jeff, I think most people hear this question and. They take a second, 
and they do what you did in lean bullpen. However, I ask you, if you add a quality middle reliever or setup man to this bullpen, sure it helps. But how much of a difference does it really make? Is it the difference between the Red Sox going from making the playoffs and or competing in the first round to getting to the ALCS? Because it's certainly not a move that's going to put them over the hump, presumably even in their own conference, where someone is going to emerge, perhaps even the Kansas City Royals for a third year in a row as a team that is the best in the American League and certainly a team that is better than the Red Sox even with a bullpen that is solidified. So when you look at David Price, who continues to age, he's certainly not at the peak of his career. When you look at this, presumably, I don't want to say it's a guarantee with how well Ortiz is swinging the bats, but this is, it figures to be, Big Poppy's last season. I say go for it and make the move that's going to not only get you over the top, but it's going to help as David Price continues to age and as you lose that power bat and you cannot rely as heavily on the offense as they are right now, which is already no, already starting to be problematic for the Red Sox. So I say go out there and make the move that's going to bring in a number two pitcher who gives them a similar dynamic as what they had with Kurt Schilling and Pedro Martinez. So that way, this team has the necessary balance to go out and compete for not just a spot in the ALCS, but perhaps a World Series title. And, oh, by the way, it allows you to actually help the bullpen because, in turn, you can now move Joe Kelly into a middle relief spot where he can just come in, pitch one or two innings, and Focus on the fireball that he has without having to worry about stretch it five to six innings. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see what happens there. I mean, but I, I just don't get it. I, I mean, the Royals won the uh, World Series last year on the strength of a really good bullpen. And we thought that's what the Red Sox had this year was a really good bullpen. But let's turn around, Bobby, because last week on this show, you came out and told me you wouldn't make a trade for a starter and you wanted to turn around and um, you know, build for the future, but you've changed your mind. Is it because you must win now? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Well, Jeff, excuse me while I pull the knife out of my back because there, there's been plenty of discussions where off air you side with me. I, I don't I never. I don't air that laundry out over the airwaves, but here you are. Well, the brutal. airwaves. The airwaves clearly showed last week that you were telling me that you wouldn't trade any of the any of their star players, not star players because they they haven't made anything of themselves, but any of their young talent. That's what you were telling me and the thousands of listeners to the K and K podcast here. And now this week we're jumping on the Jeff Kane bandwagon and moving around these guys that are sitting down in uh, in you know Double A Portland or Triple A uh, Pawtucket and getting ourselves some reinforcements, kid. Well, you took the bullpen in this debate, so you've left me the wiggle room to tell you that I don't entirely agree, but I do break it down and say, you look at David Ortiz figuring to be playing in his last season, you look at... Figuring? Hey, this guy's got to quit. He already said he was. He also said something about, 
I hope they don't offer me $25 million, perhaps a starting point. I mean, just ask the question, has anyone ever won the MVP and retired? The answer is no. And he probably won't win the MVP, just like he probably won't play next season, but he's playing that high of a level right now. So it would really be a shame not to be able to take advantage of that. And even more so, when you just look at it, as much as I love the prospects that are coming up through the pipeline outside of Moncada and Espinoza, what would you rather pay for? A number two starting pitcher who has the, the potential and the ability to be an ace? Or would you rather have to pay for a left fielder, which they might have enough in the pipeline and perhaps they could even hold on to Blake Swire and keep him in left field, that they wouldn't have to spend any money at left field. But even if they did have to bring one in in free agency, where would you rather spend, especially when you're staring down the barrel of lucrative extensions for Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Xander Bogarts, all three of whom they may not even be able to pay? <laughs> the Red Sox not able to pay? <laughs> This isn't the this isn't the New England Patriots and the salary cap. The Red Sox just have to draw up some more money down there at Fenway. I mean, it really isn't that hard. They'll 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 make sure that all these guys, uh, or at least try to make sure that all these guys stay put. It isn't like they're turning around and got a salary cap. They'll just print some more money down there and you know uh, put a couple more seats on top of seats on top of seats on the monster and and, and make more money. But listen, if I'm turning around and I got to go for a free agent, I'm always going to go pitching. I am always going to go pitching because when it comes down to it, well, hold, pitching hold, hold is what on wins here, Jeff. I'm not saying which position would you prioritize. I'm saying which one would you rather have to spend on? And the answer is – Oh, pitching. No, 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 no. You would much rather spend on a left fielder because it's cheaper than having to spend for a starting pitcher. Yeah, but you could have kept Rich Hill for $6 million a year. Well, that's that's a bit of an <laughs> anomaly right there because why? It is. You, it is. You couldn't have. It is. I'm playing a cop out right there. No, you're right. You'd rather spend the money on a left Especially, fielder. Especially, let's because... be honest, Jeff. If the Red Sox answers to shoring up the starting rotation is someone the caliber of Rich Hill, and I know he's pitching well, but you look at this rotation. That's not who you're looking for right now. That to me, even with how well he's pitching this season, long term. That does nothing for you. No, I mean, the only thing you could say long-term on that is you really wouldn't have to give, you know, big prospects up to bring him back here. You could probably get him for, you know, a high-A guy and, 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 and maybe a, a double-A guy with, um, you know, with, with some upside there. Hey, maybe you could trade uh, um, Joe Kelly for him or, or who's the other guy they got from uh, St. Louis there, the kid that's making like $12 Alan million. Craig. Yeah, let's trade Craig for him. What do you say? For all I know, Alan Craig literally fell off the face of the earth. You know, it's you know, it's sad. I mean, even though Rusny Castillo has been brought up uh, to be the fourth outfielder while uh, Blake Swihart is down with his injury, is the fact that when he was in Pawtucket, literally, the Pawtucket Red Sox had a bigger payroll than like three or four major league teams. That's horrible. That shows you how bad. Some of the decisions that uh, that Ben Charrington made were. Yeah, he really struggled. Jeff, we're going to move on in just a second, but I have to say this as you bring up Ben Charrington. What amazes me, and I encourage our listeners to do this, 
go look at the Red Sox roster and see just how many of them are Theo Epstein guys because it's literally just about everyone all the way down to some of the newer players. Even Christian Vasquez was a Theo Epstein guy. How incredible is that? Look at what Theo Epstein is doing in Chicago. I mean, really, what he has done in Chicago is is great. Theo Epstein, in my mind, uh, you know, he won that he won the first World Series uh, pretty much on Dan Duquette's guys. Uh, it was great for him to go out and and, and you know land Schilling, which they're not going to win the World Series without, and land Keith Folk. So I give him huge props for that. But 2007, they win that World Series on his guys, and, and you're right. Jackie Bradley Jr. was one of his guys. Mookie Betts was one of his guys. You know, I mean, it's it's unbelievable what they what they've done, what what uh, Theo Epstein has done, and that was one of the worst things that ever happened was Theo leaving uh, to go to um, Chicago. Um, uh, really, he would have been the perfect president here. He could have replaced Larry Dumbass Lucchino, um and, and just continued. You know, the Brookline Sun could have continued on, but. You know, you can't always stay forever. Sometimes you, you're at a job and it's just time to go. When, when Theo Epstein, and it's going to happen, when Theo Epstein holds up that, uh, you know, World Series championship trophy for the Chicago Cubs, he's going to be the man who ended the two longest professional sports droughts in the history of professional sports, and, and good for him. Hall of Famer all the way. And, Jeff, I think that also puts it in the discussion of, where does he rank amongst the best GMs in the history of baseball? If you can stop an 86-year-old curse, and what are the Cubs up to now? Over 108? Up, yeah. Something, something 108? like that. Around that. It, you, you stop that as well? Uh, <laughs> you, you, You're high no, up on the no list. One, no, one no, one, no one can take that away from you. I mean, really, I mean, maybe you could sit there and, uh, I mean, the – 27 Yankees teams that were put together, but I mean, that, that was a different time. I mean, the best general manager of the last 30 years. I mean, that's really what you got to sit there and say. Best general manager of the last 30 years. Certainly the best. If 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 he wins it all. Certainly the best general manager of the free agency era in baseball. So I'm fascinated to see what happens. And with the Red Sox, you talk about that unlimited money. I'm just telling you that negotiations with Scott Boris over Xander Bogarts are not going to be a picnic. I don't care how much money and resources you have, but the Red Sox and their quote-unquote unlimited money, as you called it, it's going to be interesting to see who wins the World Series first. Theo building his team through the draft, through the farm leagues, or the Red Sox who have taken a similar approach under him and now have Dave Dombrowski at the helm who's looking to spend big money to get there. The seventh inning stretch signifies that we're heading for home here on the Kravitsky and Kane Show as we check in on what's going on at Gillette Stadium. Everyone's talking about the contract situations of Malcolm Butler, Jamie Collins, and Dante Hightower. We discussed it the last two weeks, and we'll come back to it when there's something to talk about. But right now, I want to discuss what's happening on the field, specifically in the Patriots' secondary. 
where unlike a season ago, they now figured to have a reliable number three cornerback. And Jeff, what I wonder is if Devin McCourty now reverts back to roaming the deep part of the field while Cyrus Jones or potentially Daryl Roberts covers an opponent's third wide receiver, which would then cut significantly into the amount of snaps free agent to be Deron Harmon is getting. Uh, it definitely could, but I think one of the things that we got to talk about, Harmon did get a lot of uh, time as that third safety, uh, you know, the one-man high, especially when they brought um, Patrick Chung down in the box. And Chung did a great job on a lot of tight ends, a lot of slot receivers last year, uh, really uh, shut down T.Y. Hilton. Uh, so Chung was doing some really, really good things. Uh, Deb McCourty, yeah, he probably should be uh, set back to be that that roamer in in uh, the free safety area in the center field because that's his best position. He plays best with the with the ball in front of him. Uh, so now here you're sitting here and you have you got guys that you got guys that can play. All right, so you have Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler. Let's face it, the the Patriots were extremely lucky last year that both of them um, you know stayed healthy the entire year because. You had Justin Coleman, uh, an undrafted free agent who was on Minnesota's um, practice squad, come in here and play big big plays for you. You had Leonard Johnson play big plays for you. You had um, Rashid Melvin, I think is his first Rashad. name. Was Rashid Melvin. Rashad. Rashad Melvin. Rashad Melvin plays some downs for you. Now you're looking at it, and you have Ryan and Butler both entering the final year of their deals. And, of course, we'll talk about that at a later date. Um, but then you have Roberts. Uh, who was running with the ones last year in training camp before uh, injuring his wrist and ending up on uh, the disabled list for the season. You have Cyrus Jones, who I think slots in perfectly uh, in that nickelback position. So really, Deb McCourty, yeah, he should be stuck back, uh, you know, sitting there and, and, and being not being a playmaker, but being a, a play preventer. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Jeff, that we know that Devin McCourty – wasn't his first choice to be used as a chess piece and consistently moved around and used more in coverage than being able to play what is often referred to as center field and to roam the, the deep third. So we know that he wasn't thrilled about having to do that, but of course, high character guy, good soldier that we really didn't hear him get too vocal about it. And he also didn't let him affect his performance on the field but where he would like to be is where Deron Harmon spent much of last season and I think what the Patriots have now is the means for him to do that more often at least I think it I think more so than saying definitively that they're going to do one or the other that it's going to vary just like the rest of the game plan does on a week-to-week basis based on the opponent's personnel but I do think that it's going to be interesting to see how much McCourty is back there, as well as who gets the nod between Cyrus Jones and Dale Roberts, two players that both of us really like, but neither have played an NFL snap in the regular season yet. And on top of that, how it impacts Deron Harmon, who, if he is in fact the odd man out in most of these situations, how he handles that adversity as he gets ready to become a free agent and how that impacts how much money other teams are willing to offer him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, 
becomes a Deron Harmon. He's made some plays. Let, let, let's be obvious, honest here. He's made some plays out there when he's been on the field. Uh, he was a very good a third safety for them. And I still think that he's going to be a chess piece for them. They're going to use him in different ways, whether that be in the big nickel. It's going to be very much uh, very much that um, game plan specific defense. Like it's been that game plan specific offense for so many years. It's going to be game plan specific defense. You're going to see Jerron Harmon out there a lot more against, you know, running style teams, uh, teams with, you know, two big wide receivers uh, that like to pound the ball. And you're going to see more Cyrus Jones and uh, Roberts and stuff like that and a two safety set uh, when it turns around and you're going up against passing teams. And, and you know what? You might even see. Uh, Harmon playing the strong safety position in, or one of the safety positions, because the uh, Patriots really don't go with free safety, strong safety. So one of the safety positions uh, when it comes to passing teams, and you have Patrick Chung lining up against, uh, you know, the better tight ends in the league in that situation. Right. That's another important factor to keep in mind is Patrick Chung's emergence in coverage last season moved all around. He was another chess piece. For the Patriots, like you said, they don't truly stick to the traditional style of play for a free safety and a strong safety. So we'd see Patrick Chung moved around from covering tight ends, such as Jason Witten, for example. And then the next week against Indianapolis, or I should say after the bye, so in two weeks, he's put on T.Y. Hilton for stretches. So it was awfully impressive to see Chung's emergence in pass coverage. I still don't feel like he gets the amount of respect he should for the season he had and just how good of a, a duo they had there and really a trio with all three of Chung, McCourty, and Harmon. So it's going to be interesting to see. But the bottom line, I think you can look at this in one of two ways. And the first is to look at it from how do you solve the dynamic and how does someone who is trying to cash in next season, handle this situation. And I think the other perspective is they don't just have options. They have very good options. And I grant you that Cyrus Jones and Dale Roberts haven't played in the NFL regular season yet. But nonetheless, these are players that have really caught the eye of anyone who's watched them early on in their careers here out on the field. So. It's, it's a good problem to have for the Patriots, and I think it allows Bill Belichick to be flexible as well as to use all of these guys as a means to helping to keep everyone healthy throughout the regular season by limiting or at least lowering their snaps. And now with no timeouts, I think that the, I think that the Patriots, with this field position, you have to just run the clock out. You have to play for overtime now. I don't think you want to force anything here. You don't want to do anything stupid because you have no timeouts and you're backed up. That clip is, of course, from right before Tom Brady masterfully executed the two-minute drill, helping the Patriots to hoist their, their first Lombardi trophy. John Madden took a lot of flack for those comments. John, I don't blame you. Just a great clip for us to use here on the Kravitsky and Kane show as we enter the two-minute drill and leave you with our final thoughts. What do you got for us this week, Jeff? 
Bobby, I'm staying on the football side of things. You know, last week we, I went after Roger Goodell. I'm not going to do that right now. But for those of you who have listened to Bobby and I on, on previous podcasts and uh, talking about the Patriots, you know my utter disdain for Josh McDaniels and the pussyfoot offense that he puts out there. And I'm looking now, and, I, and I'm just seeing how great everything looks and how, how perfect things feel and Rob Gronkowski and Marty Barrett together, unstoppable. And Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman. Oh, they're going to pass the ball all over the, all over the place. Unstoppable. This Patriots team's going to be great. And Deion Lewis, his leg is going to be fine. And he's going to be dancing and jiving and juking all over the place. And no one's going to stop them. They're going to be 16-0, and Motofos. 16-0. But no, that's not going to happen. They're going to pass the ball more than they ever do this year. Because all they've done is bring in pass catchers and offensive linemen who are more pass blockers than they are run blockers. They brought back just LeGarrette Blount. They're not, they're not fixing their issues. It, I mean, not that I think Denver's going to be back in the playoffs this year, but if Denver was back in the playoffs this year and, and, and you put all these pass catchers out there and you let you know a five-wide receiver set go out, and you're not running the ball, they're still going to be able to tee off on you. Now, I'm not saying you need to turn around and get Adrian Peterson and run the ball 385 times with one guy. But come on, Belichick. Oh, man, come on, man. Don't give in to just the pussyfooting around that Josh McDaniels wants to do. Listen, you used to win Super Bowls back at the early 2000s with defense and a balanced offense. You lost two Super Bowls with this pansy-ass offense that goes out there. Yeah, it's great when Tom Brady throws 50 touchdown passes, so all of us can sit there and go, yay, Brady did better than Manning. Whoop-dee-doo. I don't give a damn about Brady being better than Manning or Brady being more successful on stats than Peyton Manning. There's one thing I care about, and that's the gosh darn ring. And Tom Brady's got four of them. Three of them were because of defense, and one of them, was because of the best quarter of his lifetime, but then the most lucky freaking play ever, Malcolm Butler stepping in front of a a poorly thrown pass and a poorly executed uh, play call by Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. You don't do that. That happens. You turn around, and you're sitting there going, wow, they've lost their last three Super Bowls, and their last three Super Bowls, all they've done is throw, 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 throw. It just doesn't happen that way. You need to get some semblance of balance, and you need to run the football. And gosh darn, I hope they do something here. And don't let Josh McDaniels and his pussy-whooped offense turn around and and, and throw up a ton of points during the regular season and get into the playoffs and and fall behind, and and that's it. And Tom Brady is a sitting duck. Let me tell you guys something right now. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. I believe it. I've seen all of the greats, or many of the greats play. Uh, Montana, Marino, Elway, Manning, and I believe Tom Brady, pound for pound, is the best quarterback of all time. But at 38 years old, going to be 39 on August 3rd, he's going to need a little help from his friends. And let me tell you right now, that arm isn't going to stay young forever. Hand the gosh darn ball off, and please don't hand off the head coaching job to Josh McDaniels when it's all said and done. Jeff, I like that take a lot. It reminds me of something I texted you earlier today 
I'll just I'll just leave that where it be for now. Et tu, Bruno? Et tu, Bruno? Not Bruno, Brutus. Oh, whatever, dude. Come on. <laughs> that's, I'm an idiot. Uh, that's the worst name bot you've ever had. Uh, uh. <laughs> Ladavion Bell has been dethroned Lede- tonight. Did by Et tu, Bruno. <laughs> listen, I got yeah, Bruno Mars. I, I listened to Bruno Mars before I, before I came on here, you know? I was like, da, 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 you know, whatever. What song you listen to? I don't know. They all sound the same to me. That's true. Jeff, I'm going to keep it on the Patriots as well. This is not a hot take similar to what you just had as much as it is an observation. I look at... That was a bitch session. Hey, you know what? This is is the forum to get it off your chest. Now, what I look at is Logan Ryan not coming to... OTAs and he's not there today for mini camp and the initial reports are that this might be someone who is holding out and while I don't blame Logan Ryan I look at it from a Patriots perspective and say this is not someone who we should we should be looking to to spend big money on because he's a number two cornerback and he's going to get more on the open market than it would make sense for us to pay him. So if push comes to shove and Logan Ryan is willing to go to the mat like a Logan Mankins to get his money, I think ultimately he's getting it elsewhere. And what's unfortunate about that is that the Patriots this season, whether you look at, Pro Football Focus, whether you look at ESPN or if you just want to see for yourself and compare rosters around the league, the Patriots have the most talented roster on the league in, in the NFL. But that, if they have to move Logan Ryan because he wants his money now and won't play next season without the assurances of a new contract, that really throws a wrench into the Patriots' defense. We talked earlier about Cyrus Jones and Daryl Roberts, but neither one of those players is ready to step up and be a number two cornerback right now. And it really takes away from the versatility that the Patriots secondary has entering this season. If Logan Ryan is actually willing to hold out to the point that he could potentially have a new team before the start of this season. So I really hope Jeff that it doesn't come to that and that, whether it's just discussions heading in a more positive direction or Logan Ryan not wanting to miss out on the money that he's owed for showing up to mini camp and to training camp. I really hope that he ultimately puts on the pads and is a good soldier for one more season. And if he does that, then I hope that he stays healthy and is able to cash in elsewhere next season. But I would hate to see the dynamic that this Patriots defense and this Patriots team has in front of it being thrown a serious and significant curveball by their number two cornerback. Bobby, great take there as always, because you're right. Um, Logan Ryan, while he was ranked, you know, the 11th best cornerback, I don't think anyone thinks that he is um, going to be paid largely by the New England Patriots. But you're right, they would suffer if they had to trade him. Although, 
they can find him a lot of money for sitting out of training camp, and, and that's going to cut into his um, final year here. Uh, I, I I think ultimately he hits the open market and gets paid like a number one cornerback in the NFL, and it'll be another chance where the New England Patriots let a guy go a year too early uh, rather than a year too late. Jeff, I certainly hope that's how things play out. That's how I've always expected them to. But it is interesting to see, of all players, Logan Ryan be the one to make a statement by not showing up to the first day of minicamp this week. So that's something that caught my eye. Thank you to all of our listeners. We truly appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Kravitsky and Kane Show. Be sure to tune in next week.